You know, this is uh, when you really know who are the committed, the faithful, that can make it out in a typhoon and come to <laughs> worship. We're going to have a good time. We've already had a good time. Dave, you let all the stops out. I'm trying to take after my pastor. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> we thank the Lord for emotions. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were all just flat, no emotions? Robots. He's given us heart. He's given us emotion. He's given us, really, who he is. He is the God of emotion. Do you know that? If you read the scriptures, it comes out. He's not just a stone God. He is emotion plus. And by that, he has given us hearts that are just like his. So that the closer we get to him... The closer we get to his son, we become more and more like him. And that's what it's all about. It's about finding true north and heading for it. That's what we're going to talk about today. Our overall subject in looking at the book of Hebrews is really fixing our eyes on Jesus. Looking to Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We're on a journey to discover as much as we can about him through the scriptures and from this writer of this book. This book is very unique and it stands out as probably the most underread book in the New Testament, but probably the most referred to or quoted. Incredible. How can this be? How can such a book be discovered? And we, we've read it, but we just didn't delve into it. It's mainly because the writer was writing from an analytical, objective perspective, focusing on the most basic and important factors of our faith walk in Jesus Christ. Every turn you make in Hebrews you discover a new facet of our relationship, our walk, our life in Christ. We're looking to Jesus or observing him through the writer's eyes who draws heavily on the Hebrew scriptures and on the pattern that was laid down in the Old Testament and makes them come alive to where they are reality in our everyday lives. And this morning we're going to take just a small nibble, just a little bite with just six verses this morning. I made up a rough calendar of how I'd parse out all these messages going through Hebrews. And I thought initially that I would just take the whole chapter three. But as I read through it, there's no way I could get it even in the half hour, 45 minutes that you graciously give me. So I reduced it down to six meager, but... Have you ever unpackaged something? You've taken it out of its package and then thought, I got the wrong one. And so you try to put it back into the box, try to get it back in to take it back to the store, just the way they packed it in there. No way. (laughs) Let's unpack Hebrews. Consider Jesus in three verses one to six. Therefore, holy brethren and sisters, Holy brethren and sisters, 
partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. If we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. In the first two chapters of Hebrews, the author compared Jesus to the angels. And I think we told you that during that time that this letter was possibly written, the latter part of the first century, that the church already was starting to drift away into error. And that's who we are as human beings. We're drifters. We drift away from the truth. And so they'd even begun to worship angels. Well, yeah, naturally, right? I mean, angels came to Joseph and to Mary and to Jacob and to the shepherds. Angels are important. They're part of God's creation. They're his messengers. But as we learned last week, yes, they're the ones that are sent to those who will inherit salvation to assist us. That is their main calling and duty. And so the author was saying, no, Jesus is greater than the angels. Even for a little while, he was made lower than the angels because he came to take a form like you and I. Jesus did but he's greater than the angels, much greater than the angels. Angels are great, but they can't save us. They can help us, but they can't save us. They are God's servants. And as I already quoted, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Jesus became greater than the angels by his becoming for a little while lower than the angels because of the suffering of death He is crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was better than ten thousands of angels. And he came as one man, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world. And why wouldn't every human being want to receive that gift? of eternal life. In chapter 3 now, the writer of Hebrews turns to compare Jesus to Moses. Moses was the undisputed leader of Israel who began his life as a slave's son and who was rescued by an Egyptian pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's palace. But then he turned around and became the rescuer of the imprisoned 
enslaved nation of Israel and became the arbiter between Israel and the God of heaven. Moses, how much greater can you be than Moses, that great leader? I mean, can you imagine? He was raised as a spoiled brat in a king's court. Not raised by his mom, but a nanny, a royal nanny, if you will. And he turned his back on it because he knew who he was. He knew why he was called Moses, drawn out of the water, rescued. He knew he owed his life to his maker. And so he obeyed when God spoke to him out of that burning bush. Even though he tried to get out of it, saying, no, 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 not me. That was way long time ago, 40 years, and you're bringing this up now? What? Go back to Egypt? No, I love herding sheep. And then God says, no, you're going to speak to the Pharaoh. Oh, well, I don't speak. I'm a fumble mouth. I'm, no, there's no way. And then his brother comes along, Aaron. Oh, let Aaron speak. But you know what? It wasn't too long until Aaron was put aside and Moses was a speaker because he was a leader. You know, you might think of yourself as, I'm not really a good speaker. I'm not really a leader. And you've used that excuse too long. Some of you have used it for 40 years like Moses, that excuse. I'm not a speaker. I can't speak to anybody. God's working in your heart these days because the days are getting to where everywhere you look, there's people in bondage and they need to be set free. And you're walking around knowing who you are, that God has saved you, and you're satisfied with that? God wants you to move out like a Moses and just take that step of faith like Moses did and headed back to Egypt to rescue people. That's what God can do in your life. I never wanted to ever be a pastor. Really? No, no, honest. I can't speak. I'm a fumble mouth. You don't even know what that means in English, do you? I tear up. And who would ever want to listen? You know, you guys are not very smart. You could probably tune in to uh, John MacArthur and uh, get your encouragement. But for some reason or other, God has you bound to this to this body. And like I said in the beginning, you're the faithful that came out in a rainy day to hear what God wants to say to you through Fumblemouth. The writer of Hebrews now focuses on Jesus, who is greater than Moses. The chapter begins with the word, therefore. You know that if you've read, how many of you, okay, here's honest question right now. How many of you have at least read, since we started this series, the book of Hebrews at least once through? Okay? Okay, what happened to the rest of you? <laughs> the writer of Hebrews uses therefore over 20 times. It was his favorite word. Why? 
because he's bringing in the facts of Jesus. And therefore, because of this, therefore, this, and therefore, this, and therefore, this. When you say, when you get to a therefore, you're going to have to ask, why is it therefore? He uses it over 20 times. And right in this short passage from chapter 214, 217, and in 3.1, he says, therefore. And so he's building his argument. Then this happened, and this this happened, then this happened, then this happened. He's a great lawyer building a case. But in this first verse, it talks about the word partook. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers. Okay, that word was used in chapter 2 when it says that Jesus partook. Well, partook means to sit down and eat with someone, to share. It actually is the word koinonia, to fellowship. Well, actually, the, the word that is used in Hebrews 3.1 is not koinonia. It is actually a very similar word, but is very much like koinonia. In 3.1, it's actually medicos, rather than koinonia. But it has the very same, similar to take part. It actually means to be changed, to be the same. And so what is happening with Jesus was he was taking part in our humanity to fellowship with us, to come so close to us, to have fellowship with us. The God who is so far above us, but he comes down to us to sit and eat and drink with sinners. Koinonia. But this partake where it says, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. That's not koinonia exactly. It is medicos, to be changed. We're the uh, worms who have become butterflies or the tadpole that becomes a frog. But that is meta, to change. And that's what's happened to us as Christians. We look like frogs, no, but our hearts are really like Jesus. We're changed. And people, like we said a message or so back, they can smell us. They can tell there's something different about that person. And it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with Jesus. And that's why my heart gets moved. That's why your heart gets moved. Wow. What a savior. What a what a salvation we have. Okay. You thought I was finished? Well, I haven't even started yet. <laughs> my first point was he was faithful in all his house. Second point is he was counted worthy more than Moses. And third point, Moses was a servant. Jesus Christ was a son. That's the difference between Moses and Jesus. A lot of difference between a servant and a son. He was faithful in his house. 
Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. I think I covered that fairly well, but there's a lot in here, folks. Just even being called holy brethren. And like I mentioned when I read it, it doesn't just include the men here in this room or here in the church or in the church worldwide. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And that's one of the distinctives that we have in the Gentile church, or as I'm referring, outside of the Jewish synagogue. Because women were not to speak in the synagogue. They sat in another partitioned area away from the men. But here as a community of believers, we make no distinction between male and female. In terms of what Christ has done for us, And that is setting us free to be whom God has called us to be. Does that mean that women then can tell men what to do? Well, they do anyway, but (laughs) God has an order. And God's order is very close to his character. And so with men and women in the distinctive, it's similar to the son is subject to the father. And the spirit is subject to the son. And so there is an order in the Godhead. And so because we are made in the image of God, male and female, there is a distinct difference. And these days that is getting blurred. And I didn't mean to even talk about what we're going through in our societies and even here in Japan. So what it's doing is it's casting a bad reflection on God. There is an order like there's parents and there's children, like there's teachers and there's students. And we want to turn it around the other way. And it doesn't work. So I think we can take the liberty, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus and who he is, the apostle and high priest of our confession. What's an apostle? Anybody know what that word means? Someone who's seen Jesus. Someone who's seen Jesus? Yeah, that's true. Sent out. Sent out. Okay. He's one who has seen Jesus face to face. And now he's gone and reported it to other people and told them word for word what Jesus did. He went here, there, and there. And that's why Jesus chose 12. There were 12 sets of eyes. In fact, there were 120 sets of eyes that looked upon Jesus. More than that, the fact is, apostle is a good word. And today in the church, there are men, and I think even women, who are standing up and saying, I'm an apostle. Well, yeah, I guess you could say that. But, you know, not really, not in this context. Not even in the context of who Jesus is. So if you say, I am the apostle, then you're saying and announcing, God has sent me to you to tell you what you should do and how you should order your life. 
And therefore, you just come under my control and my words. Follow them. Otherwise, goodbye. There's the door. That's not what God intended. There's one apostle, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is what this author, I believe, the point he's trying to make. Do I believe in apostolic succession? I don't read it in the Bible. Doesn't mean that we're not sent, but in terms of what this word means and what the relationship is, boy, to take that onto yourself, I wouldn't want to do that. Not this fumble mouth, not any of us sitting here. Yes, we are sent, but we're not capital A apostle. We're sent once to those who we rub shoulders with in our houses, in our homes, in our families, in our companies, in our schools. We're sent. That is Jesus' plan for evangelism of the whole world. And if you, you can come up with all kinds of plans, but that's the only plan he has, is that we all get sent, that we are sent. We are sent ones. Do you think of yourself that way? Consider Jesus. And he's the high priest. And not only is he the high priest, but he's also the high priest who carries his own shed blood before the Father and says, I died for the world. This cup is a remembrance of who I am as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he became priest as well as sacrifice for us. Consider Jesus. He was faithful to the Father as Moses was faithful in all his house. So was Jesus. Number two, he was counted worthy more than Moses. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is more worthy than, has more glory than Moses. Much more. The builder has more honor than the house. And our builder and maker is God. And he sent his son to gather us together. And that's why we're gathered in this place. We are his house. The builder of all things is God. We think that MCC was built by Fudiyama Sensei. As great a man as he was, and Katie and I had the privilege of, of knowing him. And many of you knew Pastor Fudiyama, the founder of MCC. A great man, a humble man. But God is greater. Jesus is greater. So we have to look and say, God worked in this place. The DNA really has not changed that much, particularly in the international, the English congregation. I spoke here several times back in the, in the days at the chicken shop, and uh, I loved it. But there's only a few of you that were there, like uh, Kent and Dave and Beth, were you even here? You were here, okay. I mean, we've changed, 
but it's uncanny. It is miraculous. MCC has not changed, basically in the spirit of what is here. Wow, that's amazing, because the builder of all things is God. Point three, Moses was a servant, Christ is a son. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Moses was faithful in his house as a servant for the testimony of those things. And so Moses wrote a lot. You know that he was a prolific writer. How many books did he write? Five, yes. Which the Jewish people call the Pentateuch, the five teachings. I don't know where he did it or how he did it. I mean, he didn't have a computer. We know that. Did he have a pen? I'm not sure how he did it. But those are recorded. And they've been preserved pretty much intact thanks to our Jewish brothers and sisters. You know, we owe a lot to Israel. We do. So why is everybody all upset about Israel these days? We should be thanking God every day for Israel. Were they good people? Well, they're stubborn. They can be mean. I've got some Jewish friends, and they're stubborn people. But you got to love them. Well, the Bible says so, but they also are pretty, I would say, kind of attractive, or there's something about Jewish people that you can't get over. You know what? If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a Jew. Sorry to say that, but you're eccentric, but you're lovable. And God loves you and sought you out and pulled you to himself and grafted you in, like we talked about several months ago, grafted you in to the point where we're in the old root. And you know what? We are more Jewish than the Jews are because we're in Christ. We're born again. We're in him. Do you think of yourself that way? It's true. Read Romans. Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Whose house? God's house. God's people as a son. So much more power and influence and understanding comes from a son than from a servant. And Jesus taught us so much whose house we are. We are of the household of God. And there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. We're all the same in Christ. He was faithful in his house, counted worthy more than Moses, Jesus, talking about. Moses was a servant. Christ was a son. And in conclusion, the writer of Hebrews says, in verse 6, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Okay, this term, if we hold fast, what does that term mean, to hold fast? It's actually a navigational 
terminology. And I'm not talking about your uh, Google Maps or uh, maps in your car to find your way. But navigating, you've got to have a goal in mind, right? I mean, you just can't say, well, I don't know where I'm going to go, but tell me where to go. You can't do that. You've got to put in the specific place or more specific. And I love it here in Tokyo with the postal codes. You can go right to the front door of someone. Anyway, hold fast. This is a navigational term, such as in sailing or flying. In navigation, you've got to have, if you're going from point to point, you've got to know where that point is. And so the wind is blowing kind of 45 degree angle, and your plane is wanting to go this, this way. And so you have to keep correcting, keep correcting, keep correcting, keep correcting as you're flying along. And finally, you come to a safe place to land. That's what it means to hold fast. It's like finding your true north. Same thing in sailing. In fact, sailing's even more precarious than flying because you've got the tide that's moving and you've also got the wind. And so you're being moved by the tide and the direction it's going, plus the wind, and it makes it that much more difficult. And I've done both, and I'd rather be flying. But we have to hold fast. We have to keep correcting, keep correcting, keep correcting in order to be able to really hit the destination. And that's what I love about what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Hold fast. But he says, if, 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 there's always that possibility in every one of us that we will stray off the point, just like I do off my sermons. (laughs) Straying off if. If you hold fast, if you come back to your notes, if you come back to the point where you want to land, that's what the Christian life is about. Well, that's so hard. Yeah, but let's make it fun. Because all we have to do is consider Jesus who was faithful and he knew where his true north was. And that's what we need to do. We need to keep checking ourselves up. Am I following Jesus today? Was that thought or was that process that I'm trying to make a decision, is it in line with where Jesus wants me to be? If we hold fast, yes, we'll arrive there. Our confidence, our boast. Oh boy, I'm a good pilot. I'm a good sailor. No, I'm holding fast to Jesus. Can I boast in it? Well, I wandered like this, but I finally made it. None of us are perfect. Our boast, the boast of our hope, firm until the end. Firm till the end. Yeah, but that seems to be a long, long time from now. How can I hang on? Firm to the end. How can you do that? By taking one step at a time. You know what this actually means, this firm until the end? How many of you have ever walked on water? Walked on water. I've walked on water. Okay, what, what, what the point I'm getting to here is 
This word firm actually is the word for frozen or solid. It's the solid state of water that you can walk on. Now, how many people have walked on water? Yeah, wow. Amazing. Our boast, the boast of our hope, is firm until the end. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. Make sure you're on firm ground. Solid ground. You know what? I think we just uh, need to end right there. If we hold fast, our confidence and the boast of our hope is in Jesus. He's our boast. We can boast about him. Firm until the end. Father, we ask that this will be the amen to our lives. That's what we desire. We desire to be firm or to walk on firm ground to the end, holding fast to the heading that you've set for us. And Lord, we, we ask that these words from Hebrews will, the Holy Spirit would remind us this week that we are sent once. We are your children. You've given us your heart, your spirit to be in us. And we want to hold fast without wavering, firm to the end, to bring you honor and glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just stand and uh, I want to just bless you with this ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.